0: Brothers and sisters, please stand for the reading of God's Word. We're going to continue forward in the book of Acts. The scripture verse we'll focus on there is uh, chapter 1, verse 4. And the title of the sermon, as you can see, is to wait for the promise of the Father. Actually, your notes are not right. I didn't change it from last week. The title of the sermon is to wait for the promise of the Father. Please listen carefully brothers and sisters, because this is God's holy and infallible word. The former account I made, O Theophilus, of all that Jesus began both to do and teach until the day in which he was taken up, after he, through the Holy Spirit, had given commandments to the apostles whom he had chosen, to whom he also presented himself alive after his suffering by many infallible proofs It is not for you to know times or seasons which the Father has put in his own authority. But you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. Now, when he had spoken these things, while they watched, he was taken up. And a cloud received him out of their sight. And while they looked steadfastly toward heaven as he went up, behold, two men stood by them in white apparel who also said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand gazing up into heaven? This same Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will so come in like manner as you saw him go into heaven. Then they returned to Jerusalem from the mount called Olivet, which is near Jerusalem, a Sabbath day's journey. And thus ends the reading of God's word. Amen. 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 Please be seated. A preacher said one time, If you are not waiting on the Lord in prayer, you have no reason to be involved in any ministry. Much of our zealous work is produced by the efforts of our own arm of strength and does not shake this world. All it does is shakes and wears us out. And I speak from personal testimony, says this pastor. I've been guilty of going before waiting. Going before waiting numerous times. And that amounts to ministry in the flesh that does not accomplish anything. But the scripture says that those who wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. We must wait if we are to have the power to run. Those who wait upon the Lord avoid a harried ministry filled with burnout And anxiety. But those who can't waste time. Waiting on the Lord. Because they've got to get going. Find that they waste time running fast. On a treadmill. Going nowhere. So saints. Up front. Today my goal. As your pastor. Preaching to you. Is to persuade you. And me. That we do not pray enough. Also. I aim to persuade us that our prayers are not filled up with truth like they should be. Guided by truth like they should be. And finally, I hope you will see that our prayers are not filled up with faith and expectation. Expecting to see the shaking of the moving God upon the earth. So in response to this sermon today, I hope that you will, all of us will pray more. Both alone and With the saints. And pray more scripture. Pray with the knowledge of scripture. Pray scripture. And pray with breathless expectation. Of God's shaking the world. By his spirit. In response to our prayers. So today's sermon is entitled. Wait for the promise of the father. We'll see that they were assembled together. Uh, Jesus was with them. This is likely the last day of the ascension, ascension. As I've mentioned before. Uh, Jesus gives command to, commandments to his disciples during this last time together, as he had been doing through that uh, 40 days after his resurrection. And his commandments are very simple. Do not depart from Jerusalem, and while you're there, wait for the promise of the Father. And he says, this is the promise which you have heard from me. He's referencing back to his teaching about the Holy Spirit that he had given them that we read about many times in the book of Luke. And then some simple questions to know and to love and to obey God. And we're going to do a fly-through of the book of Acts in prayer as we go today. And may the Lord God bless us to be caught up in the vision that God has for this earth, the mission that he's given to his people, and that that mission that grips us will guide our lives daily into prayer, like we see for these disciples, these followers of Jesus. So first of all, verse 4, And being assembled together with them. So here Luke takes Theophilus, remember it's to Theophilus, this is written to this single man, back to the Ascension Day teaching of Jesus. It's during this final day of teaching that Jesus gives his disciples these commandments. All the disciples that were there heard Jesus give these commandments. And just a quick note about Theophilus, I'm becoming more and more persuaded that he was likely a high priest, uh, and that he uh, was a son of Annas, one of the five sons of Annas, and that he was a high priest from A.D. 37 to 41, and that he would have known much of what was going on. He was likely deposed by Herod Antipas I, which will give a lot more meaning when we get to the description of Herod Antipas I and how he died that Luke gives us very clearly in the book of Acts. Uh, And we'll talk more about Theophilus uh, along the way, and again becoming more convinced of who he was in history described by Josephus as well likely ended up being a a guide, if you will, maybe even a general for an army during the late AD 60s. So we know a good bit about this man if that theory is correct. And all of it would have been the context of providing a courtroom defense for Christians who were being persecuted in the courts of the Jews. So when you look carefully at this entire document, Luke and Acts, it likely served the primary purpose into the, the hands of Theophilus to serve as a courtroom defense for Christians who were being brought to the Jewish courts. So that uh, has become convinced of that recently through my studies. Now, this is during the meal that Jesus shared with them on the Ascension Day. Now, why do I say meal? Uh, Keener says in his commentary, presumably sharing salt here functions as a metonymy for sharing a meal. So it's a representative term for eating together which Luke clearly affirms Jesus did with his disciples after the resurrection, probably including on this occasion. So assembled together, that word very likely points to not just being together, but to sharing a meal together. So the disciples were together with Jesus, most likely on the ascension day, most likely during this meal that they shared together on the ascension day. So what happened? He commanded them. So Jesus not only taught his disciples about the kingdom of God During his earthly ministry. And gave them commandments. But here at the end of his time on earth. He also commands them. Where to begin their mission. And what the first phase of their mission entails. Here's where you start. Here's what you do when you start. So they must wait for the Holy Spirit. In Jerusalem. So Jesus not only told them. The whole program of the kingdom of God. The message of the kingdom of God. While he was on earth. And who he is as the Messiah clarifying all of their misconceptions about the Messiah. But then he also tells them where to start their mission and uh, what to do at the, in the first phase of that mission. They know they're to go and preach repentance and remission of sins to every creature on earth, beginning at Jerusalem. They know this. But now they have the specific instructions from Jesus where to start and what to do when they start. Next. He commanded them not to to depart from Jerusalem. So they were supposed to stay there and not leave that place while they were waiting for the Holy Spirit. You see, they might have been eager to take the gospel of the kingdom to the whole world, but Jesus knows they're not yet fully equipped for this battle. They've been educated, but they've not been empowered. They have been educated but they are not ready for the battle. They must be humbled. They must wait on God. One pastor has said, when we rely upon organization, we get what organization can do. When we rely upon education, we get what education can do. When we rely upon eloquence, we get what eloquence can do, and so on. Nor am I disposed to undervalue any of these things in their proper place. But when we rely upon prayer, we get what God Can do. So, this is where they are. They're in Jerusalem and they're told to wait for the promise of the Father. He commanded them to wait for the promise of the Father. So, let's look at this idea of waiting. It is as simple as it appears in the English text, it is used only here in the New Testament, and it indeed has one simple meaning to wait. It is related to the Greek word for abide. We know, looking back, the disciples were waiting, they were abiding in Jerusalem for ten days before God poured out His Holy Spirit. You know, sometimes I've made friends wait for me. Uh, uh, That happens sometimes in my life. And I've had a friend say to me, you know, 15 minutes is my limit, right? Like there's a limit to how long we're going to wait on another human being, right? There's a limit. It's reasonable. But there's no limit on how long we wait on God. So the idea of waiting is an acknowledgement of His greatness. They were together praying during this time. Take note of what they did while they waited. The central activity of their waiting was their praying. And they learned this lesson pretty well. Because as we will see today through the book of Acts... Prayer is the fuel for gospel victory throughout the entire book of Acts. <clears throat> so the question is, are we going to believe that the book of Acts sets up the program for God's design for victory of his kingdom in the earth? Do you believe that? Right? Do you believe that if we follow the pattern given to us in the book of Acts, that we can wait and we can learn and from them what they did and that we can see the Holy Spirit poured out on this earth today? Do you believe that? Do you believe it? I believe it too. I don't believe it's just, well, maybe it will happen. And this is what I'm getting at when you need to pray with faith. You need to pray with faith that the leaders of this world and the opponents to the gospel and the persecutions coming forth in this earth are nothing but instructors to us of the greatness of God and His impending victory over His enemies. And we have to pray that way. We have to pray expectantly. The program for victory is set forth before us in the book of Acts. And I want us today to see the centrality of prayer. Like if we could, if we could go back and change the name of Christians to something different, maybe it would just be the prayers. Those who pray. Okay. So on Ascension Day, Acts 1, 13 and 14. Let's move forward and look at the prayers in the book of Acts and the results. And when they had entered, they went up into the upper room where they were staying. Peter, James, John and Andrew, Philip and Thomas, Bartholomew and Matthew, James the son of Alphaeus and Simon the zealot and Judas the son of James. These all continued with one accord in prayer and supplication with the women and Mary the mother of Jesus and with his brothers. They were all together. The eleven, the women, Mary his mother and also the brothers of Jesus. You think they had other things to do? You think they had other things on their schedule for those 10 days? They canceled them. Did they go do something else with other people in other places? No, they did not. They were with the people of God, waiting on God, expecting the victory of God because their lives were given over to the kingdom of God as their life's chief priority. It's not us, is it? It's not us, is it? The kingdom gets a little bit of our lives. The people of God get a little bit of our lives. The prayers of the saints get a little bit of our time. Oh, we don't love God like we should. We don't love His kingdom like we should. We're not committed to Him like we should be. What do they do? The text says they continued. That word is actually not in the Greek. It's just a verb, it means that they were. That's what they were doing, and so there was a continuation. It's, that was what their plan was. So while they were waiting, they made a plan. We're going to pray. That's how we're going to spend our time. We're going to pray. Now, it's not necessarily continually, as we'll see later in the book of Acts, but they built, it appears they built their schedule around prayer. So to wait on God, to wait on the Holy Spirit, to bring the victory on the earth, what did they do? They built their schedule around praying together. That's what they did. And it says they were with one accord. So there was no disagreement amongst them about this. They were, it was very clear to them. All of them were on board with what they were doing. They all agreed to obey Jesus together by simply waiting in Jerusalem for the Holy Spirit. Now, where were these men from? Somebody tell me. Were they from Jerusalem? No, they were Galileans. That's like not right next door. Do you think they wanted to go see their family? Do you think they had maybe some really pressing concerns about their families in Galilee and their friends in Galilee? What did they do? They obeyed Jesus and they stayed in Jerusalem and they waited for the Holy Spirit of God. And they all agreed that the best thing that they could do while they waited was to stay together and to pray together. So that's what they decided to do. And that's what they're doing. Prayer and supplication. It's called prayer and supplication. This is full orbed prayer. When you you read that prayer and supplication, it's full orbed prayer. It's every aspect of what we do when we come to God, either individually or together with others. It's the whole thing. They cried out to God in all forms of prayer, including requests, supplications, requests. So, what do you see here? There's going to be praise, there's going to be gratitude. It's probably going to be confession of sin. It's probably going to be acknowledging their lack of love for God and his kingdom. Their hunger for him to come and to destroy his enemies and bring forth the kingdom of God and the earth. And, and then they're laying all of their needs before God together. You can imagine the situation they're in. They're in Jerusalem in that upper room there in the temple. And they've got all these enemies, the ones who just killed Jesus, and they don't have a lot of stuff. They're really in a place of need. And they're praying. And there's a result. Now, the immediate result given us in in the book of Acts is that the word of God comes forth. So prayer, we can see prayer leads to the word of God coming forth in the life of the people. What does Peter do? He goes to the word of God and he teaches them about Judas and he helps them choose a new disciple to replace Judas. And even in that process of replacing him, they pray before they cast lots and God gives them Matthias. So here we see at the very beginning, the centrality of prayer in the life of the church completing the mission of Christ. Next. Peter and John, after they went before the council in Acts chapter 4, listen to what happens. And being let go, and again, this particular aspect of the book of Acts, it's like it lays out a lot more details than what we'll see after this, showing us what was likely going on in their prayers as they prayed through the entire book of Acts. And being let go, they went to their own companions and reported all that the chief priests and elders had said to them. So when they heard that, they raised their voice to God with one accord and said, Lord, You are God, who made heaven and earth and the sea and all that is in them, who by the mouth of your servant David have said, Why did the nations rage and the people plot vain things? The kings of the earth took their stand, and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his Christ. For truly, against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, with the Gentiles and the people of Israel, were gathered together to do whatever your hand and your purpose determined before to be done. So you can see this, God's giving us the actual content of their prayer. Now, Lord, look on their threats and grant to your servants that with all boldness they may speak your word by stretching out your hand to heal and that signs and wonders may be done through the name of your holy servant Jesus. And when they had prayed, the place where they were assembled together was shaken and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and they spoke the word of God with boldness. Now the multitude of those who believed were of one heart and one soul, neither did anyone say that any of the things he possessed was his own, but they had all things in common. And with great power, the apostles gave witness to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them all. Prayer is their corporate response to persecution. Do you see that? What do they do when they are persecuted? They come together and they pray. Do they fret and get lawyers? Do they wonder about if they can win the battle against the persecutors? Do they, is there a long dissertation conversation about how to respond to this great threat to us? They pray. They pray. Their response to persecution is to pray together. What does their prayer start with? Lord, you are God. And they reference God as the creator of all things. They begin their prayer. It shows what brought them to prayer. They understand who God is, this Jesus who is the Messiah, who is God. They understand who God is and they know that this council that they've just spoken with is nothing compared to Him. They begin their prayer proclaiming God's total power in contrast to the illusion that this council has of power. They quote Psalm 2. You see this, right? The word of God in their prayers. They quote Psalm 2 in their prayer in order to emphasize the futility of those like Herod and Pilate who set themselves up against God. Now, any, any scripture like this is a good scripture to use when you are facing persecution or people you know and love are facing persecution or when the church of the living God, you hear about them facing persecution. You hear about what's going on in Canada, right? Right? you've seen the most recent law. If you preach from the Bible about human sexuality in Canada, they can put you in jail for five years. Did you know that? That's in Canada. Right up north here. Yeah, they just passed it. It was voted in unanimously in Canada. And so Canadian pastors, like me, if they stand up in this pulpit, in their pulpit, and they tell the truth about human sexuality from God's word, they could be put in jail for five years. So how are you going to pray? Well... The disciples give you instructions here on how to pray. And let me tell you something. The leadership of Canada is in trouble with Jesus Christ. And if his people call out to him with this kind of faith, we're going to see some shaking in Canada. Okay? Now, there's other things, because we're going to also see there's other things that lead to repentance, excuse me, that lead to revival. And one of them is also repentance. Okay? Because we don't just pray, we also have to be repenting ourselves. We're going to see examples of that. That as the revival grows in the book of Acts, repentance grows amongst the disciples. They improve things. So, going on. Remember, Psalm 2 is perhaps the best place to go when you're praying against those who are persecuting the people of God. But there's other scriptures, but this one is like the prototype. Okay, next. They reference God's total sovereignty to do whatever your hand and your purpose determined before to be done. They know he's the creator. They know the council has no power against God. And they know any kind of bad things that the enemies of God are doing, they're doing what God determined ahead of time to do. They lose, they lose, and they lose. And then again, they lose. And it feels like death to us sometimes. But they are losing. The enemies of God are on the run. So we have to pray this way. We have to pray with this kind of confidence about who God is in his total power and in his total sovereignty And pray against the enemies of God like these people do with the awareness of who God is and who these little enemies of his are. But you know what? We're also we're also little. We're very, very little. God is big, but we are very, very little. And we have to be honest. When we look around us, you're a Canadian pastor, you know, you got your money, you gotta pay for your family love your wife and children and you're not going to want to go to jail for five years what are you going to pray well here's they knew they acknowledge the threats that are intended to frighten them into disobedience and they cry out for boldness you see because see biblical boldness is doing what God commands you to do continuing to do what God commands you to do in the face of any threat including your life Or the life of your loved ones. The time that you want to spend with your loved ones. The threat of imprisonment. The loss of your goods and your life and your relationships. The devil will bring every one of those threats against you. And you know what's happening? God is teaching you and others who his real followers are. And we discover this too as we go through this. Because these are hard things for Canadian pastors right now. You know, it's a hard thing for any of us. So we need to cry out to God in our prayers for boldness. Because they know, you should know as well, that you're going to run away without God's help. You're going to run away from the battle. So am I, without God's help. But with His help, we'll humbly cry out to be obedient, even in the face of any persecution. Because the purpose of persecution from the devil's perspective is to make Christians stop praying. To make Christians stop preaching the truth. To make Christians stop using the invincible tools of the kingdom of God. So that's what, it's, that's what persecution is all about. And the question is, are you going to give in? I mean, are you, really, the first question is, are you even in the battle? Because, I mean, that's kind of the first call, is to get into the battle and understand that you are to be linked up with a local assembly of believers doing what these people did to change the world. Right? L- linked up with Christians in our area doing what these people did to be a part of the revival that God brought to the earth at that time. That's what we're called to be a part of. So if you're caught up in that and you're doing that, then you're going to be persecuted. The devil is going to come against you with these threats to make you stop. Okay? So, they also cry out to God for healing and signs and wonders to be done in Jesus' name. We need to cry out for miracles as well. Yes, miracles of healing. Yes, miracles of wonders. Now, I believe the word signs there points to the types of things that were likely limited to the time prior to the closing of the canon of the Word of God. So these are signs, but we can also pray out to God for for miracles, cry out to God for miracles. Okay? Now, what is the greatest miracle of all? A human soul repenting and crying out to God for mercy. That's the great wonders we want to see. We want to see that when we speak the truth of the gospel to someone, they fall down on their faces and cry out to God for mercy. Like what we see happening in the book of Acts. They preach. And do you think there was all these conversions because Peter was just like the greatest preacher ever? He was anointed by the Spirit, right? But do you think those people would have repented if God was not pouring out His Spirit in their hearts to bring the word of truth to their minds and their souls That's the miracle we cry out for when we pray. So what was the result here? When they had prayed, the place where they were assembled together was shaken. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and they spoke the word of God with boldness. So God answered their prayer. He gave them the boldness that they asked for. The fright was pushed away and the glory of Christ was brought before their eyes. And they saw this shaking, this physical manifestation of the presence of the Holy Spirit of God. I would love to see that. Okay, don't let your faith be so small to think that the Holy Spirit of God may not literally shake this building someday. Okay? Now, they didn't specifically ask for the building to be shaken. You see that. But God chose to give them a physical manifestation of the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. We may see that as well. There's reports of that in the history of revival. You know that, right? Physical manifestations of the outpouring of the Holy Spirit of God during times of revival. Is your faith aware of that? Do you have that knowledge? And are you um, afraid to think that way? To pray that way? Maybe God might do that here. The thing that happened that led to the activity was their preaching the word of God with all boldness. And God gave them the shaking of that place, it seems, to increase their faith. To help them believe in him more deeply. And what what do we see after that? Three things. Unity of the multitude of believers, great power in evangelism, and great grace was upon them all. These are the fruits of prayer that we see there. Moving on. Acts chapter 6, verses 1 through 7. This is when deacons are brought into the New Testament church. Now in those days when the number of the disciples was multiplying, and I'll just stop there. We're going to talk about this over time. There was an early phase when they were adding to the church, And then when new converts had been trained in evangelism, had been trained in the work of evangelism, then we start seeing this word multiplying taking place. Okay, And we all know mathematically the huge difference between addition and multiplication over time. So now we're in Acts 6 and multiplication has begun to occur. When the number of the disciples was multiplying, there arose a complaint against the Hebrews by the Hellenists because their widows were neglected in the daily distribution. So there's favoritism. There's ungodly, unbiblical favoritism taking place. Then the twelve summoned the multitude of the disciples and said, It is not desirable that we, who's we, the twelve disciples, that we should leave the word of God and serve tables. Therefore, brethren, seek out from among you seven men of good reputation, full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom, whom we may appoint over this business. But we will give ourselves continually to prayer and to the ministry of the word. And the saying pleased the whole multitude. And they chose Stephen a man full of faith in the Holy Spirit, and Philip, Prochorus, Nicanor, Timon, Parmenas, and Nicholas, a proselyte from Antioch, whom they set before the apostles, and when they had prayed, they laid hands on them. Then the word of God spread, and the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests were obedient to the faith. So, the disciples were multiplying before this, and at the end of this episode, they're multiplying greatly, so a couple things from this. There was sin. They had to repent of sin in order to move and to grow. They repented of neglecting the Hellenists. And so there was favoritism in the church, in the distribution, and that's that's sin. And they repented of it and they fixed, they demonstrated their repentance through their, their deeds. Next. We see that not only are the church members, all the disciples, continuing in praying, but there's something else here. The leaders intend to give themselves continually to prayer and to the ministry of the word. Continually. This means to be steadfastly attentive to and to give unremitting care to a thing. So it's more than the continuing than we saw that we saw in Acts 1. This is full time ministry. We don't have one of these here at our church. May we pray that God would give us a man. Here at our church. Who has given his life full time. To continually being in the word and in prayer. We don't have one of those here. We all, all of us. Every one of us in this church. We have jobs. And we have to go and we have to work. And so we cannot, literally cannot, give ourselves continually to word and to prayer. Right? So the deacons, they were not giving themselves continually to word and prayer because they had this task that they had to oversee. Whereas the apostles are literally giving all of their time to prayer and the word. Going on. What did they do? When it was time to make deacons, they prayed and laid hands on the deacons. Church officers do not come into existence without prayer. So what's the result of this? The word of God spread, and the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem. We see a different kind of multiplication, right? Maybe it was squared to begin with, and now it's cubed. Who knows? But it was multiplied greatly compared to just being multiplied. And the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem and a great many of the priests were obedient to the faith. So we see now inroads are occurring even amongst the priests at this point. Prayer. You see the, the central role of prayer in this. Prayer is essential. It's not sufficient. But it is essential. Next, Acts 7. This is Stephen. But he... Being full of the Holy Spirit, listen listen to him pray. So this is a description of Stephen praying during his suffering. But he being full of the Holy Spirit, gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God. And Jesus standing at the right hand of God and said, Look, I see the heavens open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. Then they cried out with a loud voice, stopped their ears and ran at him with one accord. And they cast him out of the city and stoned him. And the witnesses laid down their clothes at the feet of a young man named Saul. And they stoned Stephen as he was calling on God and saying, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Then he knelt down and cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not charge them with this sin. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. You see, prayer was what they did. They prayed all the time, even when they were getting murdered. Is that the description of your life? That you are always praying. You know that we we read that pray without ceasing. So there's an aspect of this where we can, even in our jobs, even in our daily activities, we can still be crying out to God and praying all the time, like we see Stephen doing. Prayer must include seeing Jesus accurately. So we see another key part of prayer is looking to Jesus. And even as he was dying, Stephen continued in prayer and look at the, the content of his prayer. It is filled with love His enemies. So even as we're praying the Psalm 2 types of prayers even as we're praying against the enemies of Christ in Canada and and wherever they may be we have this same heart as Stephen if we're filled with the Holy Spirit a love for our enemies. And what's the result of this? Well it's kind of a surprising result doesn't necessarily look like the kind of fruit that you'd want from prayer great persecution arises That's what happens next. So sometimes when a a person is faithful, their life is controlled by their walk with God, prayer is the mark of their life, they will be persecuted. And they will be mistreated. And that can lead to a great outbreak of Christians being faithful to God and subsequent persecution upon all those Christians being faithful to God. A week from today... All the churches in Canada are being invited or they're actually pleading with all of them that every pastor in Canada would stand up and preach on what the Bible says about human sexuality and that every pastor in Canada would do that. So you see, you see how this works. Sometimes Christians are spurred on to greater obedience when they see a, a, a dear brother persecuted. And that's what happened. So this great persecution burst out. But you know what happened? It led to church growth. And that's what always happens. You know, that's why the devil's always so frustrated. Acts chapter 8. When the apostles who were at Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word of God, so the gospel has gone forth to Samaria at this point, they sent Peter and John to them who, when they had come down, prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Spirit. For as yet he had fallen upon none of them. They had only been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then they laid hands on them and they received the Holy Spirit. So here we see the very simple principle that prayers of faith lead to the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. And we can help others receive the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. Now we see that this is an apostolic work, so as we study this, there's some theological nuances we need to look at. But as everyday Christians, non-apostolic Christians, we have access to the apostolic Word, the Word of God. And so when we minister to others, using the word of God, and we pray together with them, we can help them receive a greater outpouring of the Holy Spirit of God through our ministry in their lives. Acts chapter 9. So the Lord said to him, Arise and go to the street called Straight and inquire at the house of Judas for one called Saul of Tarsus. For behold, what's Saul doing? He is praying. And in a vision he has seen a man named Ananias coming in and putting his hand on him so that he might receive his sight. So here's Ananias. He's praying and he receives this vision from God to go and to help Saul. Saul, meanwhile, is praying when God gives him the vision that Ananias is going to come and help him. So they both receive a vision from God while they're praying. New relationships and new sight arise from prayer here. And we'll see that as the theme that goes on, is that relationships grow out of prayer as well. Prayer together increases our love for God and one another, increases our trust for one another. As we pray together, we grow together in Christ. Next, Acts chapter 9, verses 37 to 42. But it happened in those days that she became sick and died. When they had washed her, they laid her in an upper room. And since Lydda was near Joppa, and the disciples had heard that Peter was there, they sent two men to him, imploring him not to delay in coming to them. And Peter arose and went with them when he had come they brought him to the upper room. And you all know what's going to happen, right? Remember, this is the book about continuing what Jesus began to do and to teach. And all the widows stood by him weeping, showing the tunics and garments which Dorcas had made while she was with them. But Peter put them all out. And he knelt down and prayed. He didn't address her body first he knelt down and he prayed. And turning to the body, he said, Tabitha, arise. And she opened her eyes, and when she saw Peter, she sat up. Then he gave her his hand and lifted her up. And when he had called the saints and widows, he presented her alive and became known throughout all Joppa, and many believed in the Lord. So Peter prays. What is the result? God raises Tabitha from the dead. And what results from that? Many New converts throughout the entire city. You see, it starts with prayer. Next. So this waiting on God, this waiting for God to move, is a theme not just for those first ten days. Right? They know they must have the movement of God at every step of the way. And that their prayers to God are critical to that occurring. They, They don't presume on God's work. Do you see this? They don't presume on God's work. They, they know that they are commanded to pray, and, and they do. They ask God in faith. Now, in Acts chapter 10, Cornelius. Did you know that Cornelius was baptized and not circumcised? Think about that. There was a certain man in Caesarea called Cornelius, a centurion of what was called the Italian regiment, a devout man and one who feared God with all his household, who gave alms generously to the people and prayed to God always. Going on to verse 9. As they went on their journey and drew near the city, Peter went up on the housetop to pray about the sixth hour. And then in verse 30, Cornelius gives a recap. Four days ago I was fasting until this hour, and at the ninth hour I prayed in my house. And behold, a man stood before me in bright clothing and said, Cornelius, your prayer has been heard, and your alms are remembered in the sight of God. Send therefore to Joppa and call Simon here, whose surname is Peter. He is lodging in the house of Simon a tanner by the sea. When he comes, he will speak to you. So I sent to you immediately, and you have done well to come. Now, therefore, we are all present before God to hear all the things commanded you by God. So Cornelius is described as a man who prayed to God always. What a wonderful description. You know, you think about things that you might want on your tombstone, right? (laughs) He prayed to God always. And during his prayers, God told him to send for Simon. He didn't just tell him to send for him. He told him his name and his location. And Cornelius obeyed. Peter was praying as the men arrived from Cornelius to get him. So he gets there. Cornelius tells him what has happened. And there's all these Gentiles there in his house. So he preaches the word of God to them. And they all get saved. And everybody gets baptized. So there's some fruit of prayer. The word of God goes forth to the Gentiles. There's new converts. There's new relationships. The Holy Spirit is poured out on these people. And then there's the baptism of the Gentiles. Listen to it. While Peter was still saying these things, the Holy Spirit fell on all who heard the word. And the believers from among the circumcised who had come with Peter were amazed because the gift of the Holy Spirit was poured out even on the Gentiles. This is a great text for Epiphany. You know, today's the first Sunday of Epiphany, right? Which means, you know, the revealing. Oh, look. Right, and so the gospels going forth to the Gentiles is the big idea of Epiphany, right? And then, of course, we read about Jesus being Baptized uh, with the Holy Spirit coming down and the Father speaking from heaven. So Jesus is the epiphany right there. That's why that's the text that we read today in our, in our reading as a part of the liturgy. So the Gentiles are receiving this as well. Uncircumcised Gentiles. For they were hearing them speaking in tongues and extolling God. Then Peter declared, can anyone withhold water for baptizing these people who have received the Holy Spirit just as we have? Peter's like, uh, get some water. We need to baptize these guys right now. And he commanded them to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Then they asked him to remain for some days. So going on now to Acts chapter 12. So Peter's in prison again. Peter, you know, he's not afraid of prison at this point in time, right? They're just doing God's will, right? They're not worried about whether they lose their medical license or whether they lose some credibility in the community. Like that is the farthest thing from their mind. They're just doing God's will. Peter was therefore kept in prison, but constant prayer was offered to God for him by the church. And when Herod was about to bring him out, that night Peter was sleeping, bound with two chains between two soldiers, and the guards before the door were keeping the prison. So they were serious about keeping Peter in prison. Now behold, an angel of the Lord stood by him, and a light shone in the prison. So what's going on in verse 5? Constant prayer was offered to God for him by the church. Okay, so now we hear the story. Now behold, an angel of the Lord stood by him, And a light shone in the prison and he struck Peter on the side and raised him up saying, arise quickly. And his chains fell off his hands. Then the angel said to him, gird yourself and tie on your sandals. And so he did. And he said to him, put on your garment and follow me. And when Peter had come to himself, he said, now I know for certain that the Lord has sent his angel and has delivered me from the hand of Herod and from all the expectation of the Jewish people. So when he had considered this, he came to the house of Mary, the mother of John, whose surname was Mark, where many were gathered together praying. So, what kind of prayer was offered for Peter? Constant prayer. So that means they were praying pretty much steadily for Peter while he was in prison. And that was offered up to God by the church. So it sounds like it was corporate prayer. So they, they came together and they prayed together constantly for Peter while he was in prison. Okay? What was the result? The deliverance of Peter by a mighty angelic Hey, are there still angels on the earth who obey God's commands? Okay. Like, I'm telling you, don't be surprised too much if the building shakes some, someday. Don't be surprised too much if angelic miracles occur. These are the things that are a part of the wonders of God when He brings down His enemies. Now, I'm not saying that we should, you know, definitely claim that it's going to happen. I'm just saying, what happens to you when you hear about these kinds of things? Oh, well, that was back then. What? Is God still God? Do His people still pray with faith? Are the angels still obedient to Him? Or is there still persecution in the earth? Is, this, are these things still, is, the, is there still enmity between the seed of the serpent and the seed of the woman? Is that battle still happening? Yes. Yes. So we can expect to continue to see the same kinds of things happening throughout history, the, the kinds of things that God has done in the past to glorify himself. We can expect to see similar things in the future. Now, the other great thing about this text here, which is a really special blessing, is it's, it appears as though they're like crying out to God for Peter, and he arrives, like while they're praying for him to not be in prison, right? And they really had a hard time believing it. If you go on in the text, they're like, I ah, know. But it was really him. So even though they just didn't quite have the faith to believe the prayer like actually would be answered right then, it was. So God is so good. He gives us more than we ask for. He gives us way more than our faith can handle. Praise be to God. Acts 13. Now in the church that was at Antioch, there were certain prophets and teachers. Barnabas, Simeon, who was called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Manan, who had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. As they ministered to the Lord and fasted, The Holy Spirit said, Now separate to me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Then having fasted and prayed and laid hands on them, they sent them away. So this is really sweet. Do you know that when you're here or at home praying to God, worshiping Him, praising Him, did you know that you're ministering to the Lord? Isn't that beautiful? You are ministering to the Lord. Have you ever considered this aspect of your prayers as being a ministry to the Lord? I mean, the Lord has emotions, right? We see this in Scripture, right? Did you know that God is pleased when we worship Him? He's pleased. We touch His heart. That should thrill us. We minister to God. And that ministers to us, right? The knowledge that we get to touch God's heart with our praises and with our prayers and that He is pleased with us. That, that thrills our hearts and ministers to us. So this is what's going on there. In addition, there's some fasting going on. And that's a phrase we're going to see a lot, fasting and prayer. So what's the result? The Holy Spirit speaks to them. The missionary work of Saul and Barnabas begin. So this specific, this specific way that God is going to accomplish what he said he's going to accomplish, they didn't know this yet, is revealed to them. The specific details of what they're going to do, is revealed to them at that time. They fast and pray some more, and they lay hands on them, and they send them away. Do you see every step of the way, it is prayer. Every major step of the way, even minor, what appear to be sometimes minor steps of the way, it is prayer, it is prayer, it is prayer. So, so can we maybe start to think that maybe the reason we're not seeing the kind of revival activity in the earth that we desire to see is because we're not praying like they prayed? And that we need to upgrade our prayer plan, our personal prayer plan, our church prayer plan, our life prayer plan, that we need to upgrade this? Personally, individually, as a church, as a family. Acts 14. It's about church leaders. When they had appointed elders in every church and prayed with fasting, they commended them to the Lord in whom they had believed. So by now, you know, they've been sent out, as we read about, and there's churches, there's multiple churches, and they go back through and they appoint elders. But they don't just say, tag, you're it. They appoint them with prayer and fasting. It's just like in Acts 6, we saw with the deacons. They appoint them with prayer and fasting. And what is the result? It's not just words. They are actually commended to the safe care of God. The prayers have the effect of commending these church leaders to the safe care of God. Acts 16. And on the Sabbath day, we went out of the city to the riverside where prayer was customarily made and we sat down and we spoke to the women who met there. So another time Paul is ministering in in another city. Now a certain woman named Lydia heard us. She was a seller of purple from the city of Thyatira who worshiped God. The Lord opened her heart to heed the things spoken by Paul. And when she and her household were baptized, she begged us saying, if you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come to my house and stay. So she persuaded us. Then the next section begins with, now it happened as we went to prayer. So note the things that God does during prayer meetings. So it's not just like the the obvious results of the prayers that we ask God to accomplish, but the things that happen in the midst of His people when they are doing that. New relationships. Evangelism. Conversion. Her heart was opened. Household. You know... I, I'm trying to think. There's only been a few times in my life that I could say, you know, I was talking to somebody about the word of God and their heart and mind were open to the word of God as I was speaking to them. You know, like they reported that to me, especially in a conversion sense. Well, this was happening all the time in the book of Acts. And this happens all the time throughout church history when we read about revivals. It's what God does. It's, it's Right now, you and me, we, if we went out and preached the gospel to 50 people, we'd be shocked if one of them believed. Tell the truth. You would, wouldn't you? You'd probably be shocked. Well, back then, they'd be shocked if one didn't believe when the Holy Spirit is being poured out in revival times. Okay. As we went to prayer, it's just a phrase that's showing us again that the whole church is defined by this activity. Prayer defines them and their schedule and their activities. They understand that their hearts reaching up to God, their hearts crying out to God are essential to accomplishing the mission that God has called them to accomplish in the earth. Next, Acts 16. Then the multitude rose up together against them and the magistrates tore off their clothes and commanded them to be beaten with rods. Okay, so here we are, another persecution setting. Okay? And when they had laid many stripes on them, they threw them into prison, commanding the jailer to keep them securely. Having received such a charge, he put them into the inner prison and fastened their feet in the stocks. But at midnight, Paul and Silas were trying to get their cell phones to call the ACLJ. That's not what it says. That is not what it says. Paul and Silas were complaining, can't believe that God got them into this. No, no, I don't see that either. (laughs) Listen, faith sees things other than prison bars and prison chains and other prisoners. Faith sees things other than the situation that persecution puts us in. Faith sees a lot more. And Paul and Silas, they see it. But at midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. And the prisoners were listening to them. Suddenly, there was a great earthquake so that the foundations of the prison were shaken. And immediately all the doors were opened and everyone's chains were loosed. Midnight prayer and worship is their response to beatings and imprisonment. What's yours? You know, I just get mad and I complain. Right? They're not worried about these people. They remember that God is the creator of the universe and he has foreordained whatsoever comes to pass. And all the people who stand against, them are involved, against him are involved in futile efforts. And they, they know that God hears their prayers. And they worship God in prison with prayer and singing. So we see some immediate obvious. And see, that's another theme we're seeing here. These are fruits they get to see with their eyes. Do you expect to be able to see the fruits of your prayers with your eyes? Now, we can't say it's guaranteed. We can't say that. But we can say that we should expect that to be the general thing we see when we pray God's will with faith for the people around us. That's what we should generally expect to see. That's what Acts teaches us. Do you believe the book of Acts is the program laid down by God to instruct us on how to act and what to expect when we do so according to his word? Do you believe that? Or do you believe it's just a a book for that time and it doesn't really apply to us anymore and we can't really be as confident in things as they were? Which is it for you? Right. I mean, really, because I think our faith is tiny. I think we have been lied to. I think we've been deceived into into believing that we live in some kind of time that's like totally different than what happened back then. If you can show me that from scripture, then I'll stop preaching so strong on this. But what I see us being called to do is to believe the program set forth for us by God in his word in the book of Acts. And and it teaches us what to expect when we go forth with his mission to do his mission, his way in this world with faith that we should expect to see the conquest of of the kingdom of darkness. And souls brought in. Over time. Okay. So the, the foundations of the prison are actually shaken. The, the earthquake happens. And the foundations just shake and shake. The doors fly open. All the prisoners are loose. Not just Paul and Silas. All of them. So there's some fruit. So like if you're having faith problems with your prayers, just like take the notes from this sermon and just go excerpt by excerpt and read about what happened when people of faith prayed according to God's will. Because see, this is part of what I'm aiming at today is to change your expectations for when you pray. Me, all of us. That our expectations will change when we pray. Instead of, oh, I hope this happens. Into, oh, I'll be surprised if it doesn't. That's where we need to be as a people. Be surprised if it doesn't happen. Next. <clears throat> Acts 20. Oh, That's so beautiful. You know, prayer as an expression of love to one another and to God. So, it's, it's, prayer becomes life for these people. Prayer becomes life for these people. He's saying goodbye to the Ephesian elders, okay? So now, brethren, I commend you to God and to the word of His grace, which is able to build you up and give you an inheritance amongst all those who are sanctified. I have coveted no one's silver or gold or apparel. Yes, you yourselves know that these hands have provided for my necessities and for those who were with me. I have shown you in every way by laboring like this that you must support the weak. And remember the words of the Lord Jesus that he said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. And when he had said these things, he knelt down and prayed with them all. Then they all wept freely and fell on Paul's neck and kissed him, sorrowing most of all for the words which he spoke that they would see his face no more and they accompanied him to the ship. I mean, look at the love that they have for one another. As they're caught up in the kingdom work together. This great affection. And they just can't get, they just, what? I'm never going to see your face again until heaven. And, and so what happens? Well, this kneeling and this praying, this is just their heart overflowing. And they just join together and they pray together on their knees before God. And then what you see coming from, from that is this love this freely weeping, this great love and affection that we should expect to see this amongst the people of God when we're praying and engaging the tools of the kingdom together. We should expect to see our love for one another increase, our desire to be together to increase, the time span when we're apart to decrease. We should expect that to happen inside of us as a fruit of these types of activities together in God's kingdom. And you know what? You can see here they stayed with him until they had to let him go. Right, like I've told you at my house, when people are leaving, the kids will probably run up the path and still be waving at you as you're leaving. You know, you might get that sometime if you come up to the house because half the time the kids will, hey, can we run up and wave goodbye? You see what love does. Love wants to be together. Love pulls us together in the work of the kingdom. When we're doing the work of the kingdom together, see, love doesn't just happen in a vacuum. Love, Christian love, occurs in the context of doing the work of the kingdom and that's when it grows the most. That's when it comes out the most. And prayer together in the work of the kingdom is an essential part of that growth in love for one another. Next. Acts 21. They're at Tyre. They're on their way to Jerusalem. Very similar. When we had come to the end of those days, we departed and went on our way, and they all accompanied us with wives and children till we were out of the city. So this is the whole church walking. And we knelt down on the shore and prayed. Here it is again. So like this kind of a goodbye as the kneeling down and praying together before the goodbye is what it sounds like was kind of the pattern in Paul's life. When we had taken our leave of one another, we boarded the ship and they returned home. They all knelt down on the shore together and prayed. You hear that? So we see prayer also as an expression of love for one another. Uh, The praying together is a way of loving one another. Do you see that? Praying together, being together for corporate prayer meetings is a way of loving one another and growing in our love for one another. And they were together until the necessity of the parting. Same as before. And so, you know, we kneel in prayer during our worship, right? It's it's good to kneel together in prayer. And you know what? If you want to kneel during worship sometime, if that comes to your mind, you want to fall on your face sometime, go right ahead. Go right ahead. If God moves you to express what He's doing in your life with the posture of your body, please feel free to do it. Whether it's hands in the air or whether it's on your face before God or whether it's kneeling, I trust that the Lord's going to keep this place from becoming a madhouse. <laughs> okay? It's not going to be an out-of-control place. But I don't want you to think that you must restrain your body posture according to what our typical pattern. Make makes sense. Okay. But they did do it together. It was a corporate activity and so it had order to it. So I'm not calling for disorder. You understand that? Okay. Next. Publius. It happened that the father of Publius lay sick of a fever and dysentery. Paul went into him and prayed and laid his hands on him and healed him. So there's the fruit of the prayer. Right? He didn't just lay his hands on him first. We see the same pattern with Peter. He healed him. After. What happens next? Well, the word spread. When this was done, the rest of those on the island who had diseases also came and were healed. So prayer comes first, and then they're all friends, basically. They all just love each other. What happens? They also honored us in many ways, and when we departed, they provided such things as were necessary. So they needed things, and they got these things as a part of this cascade of events that occurred after Paul prayed. Verse 4 ends with Jesus saying, Which he said you have heard from me. We're going to look at the the Holy Spirit in a similar fashion um, as an overview through the book of Acts. Uh, we, We see looking back that Jesus is referencing his teaching that he had given them already. And we will continue to see the ministry of the Holy Spirit throughout the book of Acts. So I want us to note here just as we close with the teaching portion of the sermon The connection between the Holy Spirit's activity and our prayers. The connection between waiting upon God and the activity of God in us and through us. We see the continuing in prayers. We see the prayers filled up with God's word a knowledge of who he is and who his enemies are. What our mission is and what he will do to accomplish his mission in the earth through us. We even see continual prayers for those who are called to full-time ministry Prayer in the Word. And then prayers filled with faith and expectations of visible fruit. So, some questions to know and to love and obey God. I hope that so far in the sermon that you've been examining your own prayer life. Right? Because it's very convicting. I don't want to pray half the time. The clock goes off and there I am. And I'd rather read Fox News. Like, What is wrong with me? Well, yeah, it's not because it's Fox News. It could be any news. And I would still say the same thing. What is wrong with me? Or why don't I want to pray? I don't have all the answers. But from today's text, we can begin to get some of the answers, right? So we start with the idea, I just don't love God. Right? So that's number one. We just don't love God. Okay? We don't pray because we don't love God. Next. We don't pray because we don't believe who we are, who God is, and what he's doing in this earth. We don't believe that. So so if we, if that's correct, if that little small list is correct, if God were to bless us with greater love for him and a greater knowledge of who we are, the position that he's given us in this earth, and the Impact of our prayers on heaven and the mission that we are called to be a part of. So when we are praying kingdom prayers according to his word, according to his will, asking him to bring heaven to earth, that we should be filled with expectation to see these things happen. So we would believe who we are, we believe his word, believe who he is, and pray with expectation to see these things take place. Does that describe, maybe there's somebody here who can say Amen, Pastor. And God has really done that in my life. It's where I love Him so much that I can't stand not to pray. And you know what? When I do pray, I'm caught up in the kingdom, and I'm caught up in praying for God's victory in the earth. And I'm praying God's word, and I'm aware that He is the Creator and the Sovereign One, and that His enemies are nothing in His sight. And I'm looking for these prayers to be answered, and I can't wait to see what's going to happen. That's not me. Sometimes it is. I'm not saying it's never me. <laughs> I imagine it's probably sometimes you too, right? But let, may God grant this to be every day of our lives. May God grant us to be those who are called. Matt is a man who prays continually. The, that Foothills, that's a church that prays all the time. What, are they, what, are they, what is Foothills known for? Prayer. May that be true. We are known. You know, We want to be known, obviously, for the preaching of the word and, and sound doctrine, but in terms of what we do, what, how we schedule our lives, are we known for prayer? So in your personal life, when you make your schedule, I'm sure each of you has made a weekly schedule broken down by 30-minute increments, correct? Some of you are looking at me like I'm crazy. Others of you are saying, well, 15 minutes, <laughs> right? So, but everybody needs to have a schedule, budget your time, right? When you budget your time, You've got to start somewhere, right? What do you start with? What, what do you put in your schedule first? I would propose to you today that the first thing you should put in your schedule is time alone with God to pray, to be in his word and to pray. Okay? And then you build your whole schedule around that, how much you sleep, when you go to bed, what time you've got to leave in the morning, the whole thing. I'm assuming that all of you already know that and are already doing that. But if you're not, please make the change now. Right now, stop what you're doing, sit down with your schedule, and build your life around prayer. Okay, your life schedule. All right, that's number one. Now, the content of your prayers. Do you pray as if you're caught up in the kingdom mission? Okay, because when you pray, sometimes we can just get caught up with, well, you know, I'm feeling this way. Please help me grow this way. Please, please help so-and-so with their, their sickness. And these are, these are good prayers, but not if they're disconnected from the kingdom of God. Now, why are you praying for someone to be healed? Why are you praying for your heart to be touched and to grow in love for him? I, I hope it's because you desire to be a part of the kingdom's growth and success through your life. Right, you see the difference. Right, so we we are members of the kingdom of God. Jesus Christ is our king. He's bringing forth his kingdom program in the earth and we have a role to play in that. Do your prayers reflect that? Who he is, who his enemies are, who you are in that process and what he's doing in the earth. And do you have, are you filled up with expectation as you pray these prayers, as you look around at the world? You see, all we see the disciples doing is seeing the enemies of God and praying towards it. Is that what you're doing? You know, are you praying towards the gaps between heaven and earth? Is that where you're praying? Is that how you're praying? To see heaven come to earth? Is that the content of your prayers? And are you filled up with expectation and just going to rejoice when you get to write down next to that one, Grandma got saved. Exclamation point. Grandpa got saved. My child got saved. Our elected officials repented of the murder of babies. See, could go on and on and on. America has repented before God and come back to its first love like we pray every Sunday after Sunday. You pray that prayer with expectation to see that it will, could happen, that you could see with your eyes. Maybe South Carolina will rise up and say, we love Jesus Christ as a public expression of our civil priorities. praying with expectation that this world will look like it belongs to Jesus Christ and that your prayers can be a part of seeing that take place. Your marriage, your family, our church, this community, this state, this nation, this world. Now, let's, I could say more, but let's talk about corporate prayer. Okay, this, this sermon prompted me to think a lot about what we do as a church in prayer, Okay. Do you think we pray enough together as a church? I don't think we do. That's, that's my heart answer. I don't think we pray together enough as a church. Okay? Now, I think the content of our prayers can be improved, but I think a lot of times when we're together, I'm hearing these kingdom prayers. I'm hearing an awareness from the people who are praying these things of, that we are part of this kingdom mission. <clears throat> But I've got to tell you, sometimes I don't hear these prayers being prayed with faith and expectation to see it happen. It's kind of like a toss-up. Maybe the Lord will do it, maybe He won't. I'm being faithful to pray, Well, we'll see what happens. <laughs> pray with expectation. But now that means you've got to be confident that you're praying God's will. Right? That when you're looking out and you're seeing the enemies of God coming against the people of God and trying to destroy the advancement of His kingdom, that you're praying properly. So I think that's my assessment of where we are as a church. I think we need to pray more. And I think we need to pray with greater expectation and faith. Now, I know what the average drive time is to our church. (laughs) Like off the top of my head, I can probably tell you that. So I know how hard it is for y'all to get here for the prayer meetings. I understand that. That's a part of who we are as a church. So if you cannot make it to the prayer meetings, maybe have one in your neighborhood reach out to other christians in your neighborhood and start one in your neighborhood or maybe you find a faithful little church where you live and you're there for their weekly prayer meeting and you're joining in and you're praying there if you can't be here be somewhere more often praying with the people of god that's that's my pastoral counsel if you can't be here for the prayer meetings please be some like i think we how often were they meeting corporately well yeah because they lived right there in Jerusalem together. And even as the church was spreading, they were, you could see the way the local community is structured is not based on being, you know, this kind of time apart from each other, distance away from each other. So, please look at your family life and increase how much you pray. Improve the contents to make them kingdom prayers and pray with great expectation. So, you know, in our family, we need to pray more. Clarks, would you agree that we need to pray more? We need to follow through on our plan to pray and we may need a better plan. Now look, I also want to talk about our corporate prayer that we have here. Okay, I have some, some, uh, some more pastoral counsel for every person here regarding when we pray together. Okay? First of all, men, please arrive ready to pray kingdom prayers Stimulated, stimulated by your knowledge of what's going on in the world, driven by God's word, filled with faith as a kingdom warrior with expectation. I ask every man here to do that. And, and you know what? We might just end up having a three-hour church service, and that's okay. All right? Do not ever feel that there's any time constraints to how long we're here. Ladies, you know, the men pray during prayer. You don't pray during prayer. You can write prayers ahead of time to give to the men in your life. Please do that. If God is leading you to give these kingdom prayers to Him, write them ahead of time for the the men in your life. Okay? Now, also, ladies, you know, the ladies were there. they They were a part of this whole gathering as well. Even if you're not praying out loud, have those kingdom prayers soaring up with the men as they pray. Agreeing with the prayers that you're hearing, and even bringing your own alongside them as you listen. Active, corporate prayer. Men, show up here with this understanding of what it means to wait for the Holy Spirit of God. And what did they do? They prayed as they waited. And so, God will lead you. He will show you. He will give you the words from His Word to guide you in the prayers for the kingdom. (coughs) All that to say, I think we can improve on our corporate prayer time together. If we're going to have it, and we are, let us continue to improve upon it. Amen? Okay, next. Um, Well, I've already covered everything. I got ahead of myself, and the rest of my questions have already been asked. Um, Simply put, there's nothing more important than God and living our lives for Him and being caught up in the kingdom work that He's called us to to be a part of preaching repentance and the remission of sins in His name to every creature on earth and prayer is an essential part of that occurring I don't know about you but I really am longing to see that with my own eyes. Right? But just like most Americans, you know, I just want to go through the drive-thru. You know? There's no drive-thru Christianity. We have to wait on God. We have to work in prayer. We have to cry out to Him according to His word, according to His revealed plan for this earth. And with faith and expectation that we would see some of it with our own eyes. Let us pray. Almighty and gracious Heavenly Father, we confess our sin to you, Lord, that our hearts do not love you as they should, that we do not prioritize our lives around your kingdom as we should, and thus we do not pray as we should. Not enough, not properly And not with faith and expectation. O God in heaven. With one heart and in one accord. We cry out before your throne. To remedy this. For our church we ask. And for your people. In all the earth. That we would see with our own eyes. The outpouring of your Holy Spirit. In Jesus name.